open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're bearing down on the end of this study, or at least this part of the study. There's something else that's brewing in my heart to talk about, so I kind of want to get this done, but we want to get it finished the right way. And so we've been studying in Ephesians chapter 4, which really is God's outline and purpose for the church and God's purpose for your life. And that's what we're talking about right now. We're talking, the overall theme here is growing up. And as we just saw, and I was just praying, what's really in my heart this morning is that because God is our Father and He loves us, He wants us to grow up. No parent, no health, no good parent wants to see their children stay as little children. I know we like to hang on to them and you know, we'll say things like, oh, I wish you wouldn't grow up. I'd like to stick a brick on your head. So you, but that's not really what we mean. I mean, imagine your 35-year-old child still living at home, sitting in a high chair with a bib on. Something's wrong, right? So we have to sometimes move them along. Sometimes we have, to, we have to lovingly move them along. But we want to see them grow and mature because that's the heart of a father. That's the heart of a mother. And, and we get that heart from God. Understand that He is the father of fathers. The idea of fatherhood comes from Him. We, we haven't come up with this concept and then we console God on being like that. It's the other way around. God is a father. And, and our father, our image of fatherhood, of, of healthy fatherhood, is to come from him. And so he, because he is a, God, a, a, a father that loves us, he won't leave us where we are. And that's what we've been talking about. We talked about the fact, the first part of this chapter, the first few verses, I think it's the first six verses, talk about the unity of the body, that we're all part of one body. And now it begins to talk in verse 7. That's what we'll pick up. In verse 7, it begins to talk about you particularly, what part of this body you are. But to each one of us, each part of his body, that's us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. We talked about the fact that grace does not just mean God's unmerited favor. Some of you may have amplified Bibles, and that's how that will translate it, and that's accurate. That is included in it, but it means so much more. It literally means a gift from God. It's the great Greek word charismata. But it means a God is God's enablement. God taking his ability to do something and giving it to you. And that's what this word means here. And to each one of us, a grace was, God's grace was given. To each one of us, God gave his ability to do something. And that's what we're talking about. Because that's very important for the healthy functioning of his body, just as it is for yours. But to each one of us, grace or God's ability was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now drop down to verse 11. And he himself gave some, some of these gifts he gave to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We talked last week that that implies that some of these gifts were not given as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Because if only some of them were given as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, then there are some gifts that were given that are not among that five. And we see in the next verse that those five gifts were given to the church to equip the saints. We've talked about the fact that saints just means you're a believer. Once you come to Christ, you've been set apart from the world, and that's what that word saints means. It means to be set apart. So these gifts, the apostle, prophet, pastor, manager, pastor, and teacher were given to the church to equip all of us saints, all of us, and the apostles a saint also, so as a prophet, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We've talked about the word ministry. The word ministry comes from a Greek word that basically means a table waiter. So it means service. So whenever you see the word ministry in the New Testament, in your mind, translate it into service, to do the work of the service for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. If you think about it, that's what the different parts of your body do. They all function together to cause the building up of your body. When we're a child, it's the building up of our body till we come to become a mature, fully grown man or woman. Once we become fully grown, our body continues to build us up sometimes uh, in places where we don't want to be built up. But the word built up does not just mean get larger. It also means stronger and more able. So the building up of your body is a continual process because if your body's not being built up, it's decaying. If you just sit around and do nothing, but sit on your couch and watch TV and eat potato chips, your body will begin to break down. And you'll come to the place where you can't physically do very much of anything. 
And so the building up of the body is a continual process. The process he's talking about here, at least initially, is the, is the maturing of the body into a full-grown man or a full-grown woman. And it takes the working of every part to do that. And so that's, he's talking here about these gifts we're given to help to equip us so that we can do the work that we were called to do. Verse 13 says, Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, and the measure of that is the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in, in your, with your children, the image that they're growing into is to look like you. I found as I've gotten older and I look in the mirror, I see my father looking back at me. <clears throat> I don't like that particularly, but there's nothing much I can do about that other than, you know, exercise, eat well, and do things like that. But it's not shocking that I should grow up to begin to look like my father, is it? Okay. Three of you understand that. Okay. It's not shocking. And what he's saying here is the process of maturing that God is working in you is to end up looking like Him, and the way He looked like when He walked on this earth was Jesus, the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that's not just so much physically as it is spiritually. We're to walk like Him, talk like Him, think like Him, and speak like Him. If you look in, in, in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, I think it is, he talks about, you know, turning the other cheek. He talks about, you know, things that are just are strange to us. You know, if somebody asks you for your coat, uh, give him two. If somebody tries to take something from you, give him more than he, give it to him. And we think, you know, how can we do that until you realize the key is a little later on, he says, so that you may be like your Father who is in heaven. And as I read that, I looked back and said, that's what God has done with us. He's turned the other cheek. We've all slapped him, not, not physically, but we've all said things. We've all used his name in vain at some point. We've all said things and done things uh, that, that were a slap in the face to him. And what did he do? Did he slap us back? I'm glad he didn't. He turned the other cheek, didn't he? He made himself vulnerable to us. So what he's saying in there is to act like your father, God. Well, that's not something you can just do because you decide to. God has to develop that by the Spirit of God inside of you and work to work out that salvation that Philippians talks about. And so that's this process, and this is why, but, but it's done in the context of the work of the ministry. And that's what we're talking about. All right, let's move on. Let's go down to verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And that's what we're talking about now. We're talking about every part, every joint supplying something to the body. You are a part of the body of Christ on the earth. He is the head, but we're the body. The church is the body. But the church isn't a building it's not the walls of this nice building. It's, it, it is you and me. It is the members of Christ. Because when you came to Christ, the Bible says you were joined to Him. We became one with Him. And therefore, we are His body on this earth. We are His hands. We are His mouth. We are His feet. We are His ears. We are the, 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 the means by which He carries out His will in the earth today. And every one of you, if you are part of the body of Christ, every one of you is a part of His body. Every one of you has a function, and He is depending upon you to perform your function faithfully or else his body's not able to carry out the fullness of his will. And see, we can look at it and say, well, you know, how can I be that important? The body of Christ has so many members, so many pieces. Well, so does your body. Your body's made up of literally millions of pieces. Cells, what if some of them don't do their job? What if they don't function correctly? Is that okay? Well, I think I'll just let my pancreas take the day off today. <laughs> well, you'll have diabetes. Your pancreas stops producing insulin, you'll have diabetes. Some of you have that for the moment. And so your part of your body's not working right, and it affects you, doesn't it? Well, a part of his body's not working right, it affects him and what he can do and what he wants to do. And this is part of the purpose of this study, so we stop just looking at ourselves and what, how things affect me and what am I getting we live in a day and age, and especially in this nation, 
where we have a, we live in, among a church, and I'm not just speaking so much of Faith Christian Center, although it's 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 here too. It's everywhere. It's part of our it's part of our spiritual culture as Christians in the United States today. Not that everybody's exactly there, but it's part of the atmosphere. Is that we're you know what do we get out of this? So we evaluate churches by what did I get out of it? You know, I didn't feel blessed today. I didn't feel the anointing today. I didn't sense this. You know, I don't get much there. Well, you know, but that's a sign of immaturity. Maturity is I come to give. I come to take my place and to perform my function. And what you'll find is as you begin to perform your function, you'll find you become satisfied because that's what you are made to do. And if you're not doing what you were made to do, you will not be content. You will be like Paul says, of all men most miserable. Paul says, if I decide to teach the gospel because I'm forced to, okay. But, but, if it's, but I want to do it out of, because it's my will. But he ends up by saying, but woe to me if I don't. In other words, I can't not do this. This was my whole purpose in my existence. You understand that your purpose in life is not to have a good time. Your purpose of life, and this is going to run contrary to some teach people out there teaching it, the purpose of your life is not to enjoy it. The purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is not to enjoy it. That's a byproduct of performing what you were made to do. It's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy life, but the purpose of our life is not to enjoy it. Because if the purpose of my life is to enjoy it, then I'm self-centered. Everything's focused on how things affect me instead of how am I affecting his body? How am I affecting him? How am I affecting his purpose? It's not even to just get our eyes on one another and say, am I blessing other people? Because to bless other people for the wrong motive is still not right in his eyes. It's to do it because I'm serving him. I'm serving the head. Notice it says, unto the head. Growing up unto the head who is Christ. By which every joint supplies its part. And every part, and I'll finish this up, and then I want to go on to another, uh, another section of Scripture. From whom the whole body joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies. So every joint is supplying a connection. What do joints do? They connect different parts together. And we looked at that last week. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. And you and I are one of those parts. And we're called to do our share. Not all of it, just like your feet don't do everything, but they have to do their share. Your, your ears don't do everything, but they have to do their share. And if a part of your body is not doing its share, then your body is not healthy, and it affects you, and it affects others around you. According to which each part does its share for the building up of the body in love. And we'll talk about that later. Now go to Psalm 139. This is where we left off last week. Psalm 139. This talks about God and you and how God sees you. You have a self-image problem. You need to read this every day. We'll start in verse 13 because if we started earlier, we'd never get through this. This is the psalmist David talking back to God. For you formed my inward parts and you covered me. That word literally means to knit me together in my mother's womb. Notice who did it? God did it. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame, or literally my skeleton, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In other words, God saw you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He saw you. And He didn't just see you as some casual bystander say, Oh, isn't that nice? Aren't they cute? That's so often what we do with little babies when we say, Aren't they cute? But this is the eyes of a father. When I saw our children when they were born the first time, I didn't say, oh, aren't they cute? 
attitude's nice, but what I felt towards them was so much more. We were aware of them while they were in their mother's womb. She was very much aware of them. She could feel them, but she would say, oh, come, put your hand here. Now, the last pregnancy she had, she had twins. So you could feel them all over the place, arms and legs and things like this. But we were excited thinking about and planning about that child before they, were, they came out. Planning names. Nowadays, of course, you know what their sex they are ahead of time. You can even get pictures of them. The, our last grandchild, our daughter, emailed to us pictures of the baby in her womb. I think it's still incredible. On our cell phone. What a time we live in. My goodness. She says, this is your granddaughter. And it's like, of course, my wife goes Google over it. It's wonderful. And I got excited too. But, but you, you, you're, you're, making, you're, you're anticipating that. But this verse says, God saw you before you were even formed in there. He saw you. He anticipated you. He was waiting for you to be formed. In fact, the Bible goes back further and says, before the foundation of the world, God saw you. How can he do that? Well, he's God. First of all, he doesn't live in time. I don't want to get off on this, so we'll spend the rest of the day on this. But God sees everything all at once. He sees everything all at once. He sees the end from the beginning. He saw you right now today before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he planned for you. And he watched over this process. Now we understand through science how that happens. Because in your parents' DNA, when those cells came together, was the DNA, the roadmap, the instruction manual for how you were to be made. Every cell in your body had an assignment. And that DNA, we now have been able to understand that. That DNA is an instruction manual telling each cell when it's formed what part of the body is to, place, to be placed in and how it's to be built, how it's to be formed so it can perform its function. And that DNA in the physical body is a representation of God's will and plan for you when you were formed in your mother's womb. In other words, the way you were made was intentional and on purpose, and it was God's intention and God's purpose, and He made you that way so that you could perform the function in the body that He intended for you. Just like the difference between the, the cells that are in your hair and the cells that are in your nerve. I had my teeth cleaned the other day, and as she was getting near an area, I remembered, I, I discovered one of my tooth is very, teeth is very much alive. Because <laughs> she hit a nerve. <clears throat> that nerve was very sensitive. And I knew she hit it. There was no question. It was not an issue of faith. I, I, I didn't bite her, but I, was, I let her know she hit a nerve. <clears throat> The day before, I went and had my hair cut. In that case, they actually cut cells separating one part of my hair from the other. And I didn't feel a thing. Why? Because the cells in my hair are made differently than the cells that are in the nerve that, that keeps my tooth alive. And yet they're all cells in my body. But they're made differently because they have different functions. And so God designed your nuances, your differences. He designed them so that you could perform the function that you were made to do. Now, God did that before the foundation of the world. You think maybe you're just a little important to Him? Yeah. Who am I to God? He planned you. Now, you've had something to do with it. Your parents have had something to do with it in terms of how you are raised. But the roadmap, God planned for you. He planned for you. He planned for you, and He put in you the DNA. I was talking with Lafayette Scales. Once I began to take over, he was talking to me. He says, you've got to understand that for the time of this church, God's put in you the, D, the spiritual DNA that He wants for this church right now. So be confident in what He's put in you. Don't compare yourself to Pastor Sam. You're not Pastor Sam. He had a different DNA in him for a different purpose. But what he's put in you, this is what Lafayette, this was his counsel to me. What he's put in you is for this church at this time. And so as much as I might look at myself and say, I don't know if I can do this, God had to have put that in me because he put me in this place. And he's put a DNA in you, a spiritual DNA in you to function in a particular part of his body. All right. Let's go over now to Romans. Well, I'm going to finish reading this. Excuse me. 
Verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. Some other translations make it a little clearer. In other words, God has written in his book, every one of your days is laid out. God's planned them. Okay. Now let's go over to Romans chapter 12. Some of these are verses that we studied earlier in this study, but we're going to bring it home now as we bring it back to you personally. <coughs> verse 3. Well, let's go in verse, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, they understood in that day and age something we don't understand quite so often. Hmm? Excuse me. They understood something at that time that we may not relate to so easily. They had come out of a, of a culture where it was very common to perform animal sacrifices, and that was an act of worship. So you would bring your, your goat, you'd bring your, your sheep, you'd bring your bull if you were wealthy. You'd bring it to the, to, the, to, the, to the temple, and you would hand it over to the priests, and they would offer that. They would, they would drain its blood, cut its throat, drain its blood out. Different types of sacrifices were performed differently. And they would, they would break, cut the body up and they would literally offer it on an altar of fire, offering it up to the Lord. And the idea was they would take this thing that was important to them, this animal that had value to them. See, they didn't take, you know, a, a, an inanimate object. They took an animal and they handed over this animal that could, be, could, could have brought money back to them, it could have reproduced, they could have gotten milk from it if it was a cow, whatever it was, and they, let it, they put it into the hands of the priest and they offered it to God as a sacrifice. King David said after he had, after he had committed the sin of numbering the people at the end of his, near the end of his, of his life, and, and he repented of it and, and, and he came to offer a, a, a sacrifice at, at a threshing floor of Aruna. And Aruna said, no, no, you're the king. I'll give you this threshing floor. You know, you can take it and offer your sacrifice. And David said, I will offer nothing to my God that did not cost me something. In other words, I'm not going to take what you've given me and offer it to God. I want, it, it needs to, see, the fact that it cost me something means it was of value to me. If it didn't cost me anything, I didn't give him anything that was of value or importance to me. But when I give him something that has cost me something, then I've given, I've put him, I've stated that he is more valuable to me than the thing I've offered to him. And so Paul is writing here and saying that we are to present to him our bodies, not as a sacrifice to be burned on an altar, but as a living sacrifice every day. In some ways it would be easier if it were a one-time gift that would lay on the altar and he'd kill it for us. Because it's this body that causes you all the trouble. The only temptations, the only avenue sin has into your life is through your flesh. But he says we're to take up our cross daily. You know what a cross is for. It's a place of death. It's a place of sacrifice. And so Paul is saying here to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, you're giving it to him every day holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable in light of what? In light of what He's done for us. Reasonable in light of who we are. We belong to Him. We're not our own. Don't you know you were bought with a price? Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you know, therefore treat your bodies if it's not yours, because it isn't. We could meddle there, but we won't. We could probe around a little there, but we won't. My body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God first, and then it belongs to her next. After that, whatever's left over, I have rights to. (laughs) 
You say it belongs to God in what way? He says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the dwelling place of God? That's how you became a Christian, as God's Spirit came to live inside of you. That means your body is literally a temple of God. What makes us a church this morning is not the walls of this building. It's that this room is filled with temples of the Holy Spirit. You're one of them. And collectively, we are His temple here together. Temple just means dwelling place. So it does not belong to you. My life does not belong to me. It belongs to Him. And so he's saying that's a reasonable service. Then the verse 2, he goes on and says that we are not to be conformed to this world but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may pr- prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now verse 3 is where I wanted to get to. For I say, through the grace of God given to me. Now there is that word grace again. He doesn't mean just through the unmerited favor, but through the gifting that's been given to me as an apostle, the gifting that's been given to me as a teacher, the gifting that's been given to me and the responsibility that goes with that. I say what I'm about to say to you through the gifting and ability that God has given to me. To everyone who is among you, that doesn't leave any of us out, does it? Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. Now, he's not talking here about our standing before God as children of God. He's not talking here about whether God loves you, whether you're God's child or not, because in that context, we're all the same. I love this statement. I, remember who, I don't know who, who first spoke it, but it's so, it's so clear to me. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all come, into, we all come into, into, into salvation by coming to the foot of the cross at the same place. The high, the wealthy, the mighty, the, the prestigious, and the low, and the down and out, and the poor, and the destitute, we all have to come to the same place to come into the body of Christ. We come to the foot of the cross, and we're all the same in that regard. We're not talking about Different standing before God in terms of God loves some better than others. He doesn't love pastors more than he loves people that are doing something else for him. His love for us is all the same. But we have different functions. Just as my body is my body. So I don't love my big toe better than my little toe. I don't love my hand better than I do my earlobes because they're all part of me. I love them all the same because they're part of me. And he loves us all the same because we're part of him. But on the other hand... The different parts of my body have different functions. And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about in your function not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but to think soberly. That word sober means clearly and with a balanced point of view. To think clearly and with a balanced point of view according as God has given each of us a measure of faith. So he's talking about exercising the gifting that God has given to you and to not think more highly of yourself because of that gifting. Now, this was a problem that the church in Corinth had. And we'll, we'll look at that maybe, maybe today. We'll look at a, a very short portion of Scripture where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's having to, to, to as, a, as, a, as a father, he's having to, to, um, to, 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 to tone them down a little bit because they were getting very proud about the gifts that God had given to them, the spiritual gifts that God had given to them. And they were, they were making the mistake of thinking because God had given those spiritual gifts to them and they were functionally so powerfully that that meant that they were better than anybody else. In fact, they came to the place where it apparently they thought they were more spiritual than the Apostle Paul who founded the church. And it's a very interesting study to go through and watch how the Apostle Paul handles correcting his children, his children in the Lord. It's a very interesting study, and I don't want, we can't take the time today to do that. We may at some point, because he does it very lovingly, but very firmly. He doesn't knock their feet out from underneath them. He doesn't blast them, and he certainly could have. But he's trying to correct them so that they can see the error of their ways. And he uses sarcasm to do it. But here the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Rome, and he's saying not to make the mistake that they did in Corinth. Don't think more highly of yourself because of the gifting that God's given to you, but think soberly. That also means don't think more lowly of yourself. 
There are two errors that people tend to get into when they start looking at their own gifting. And there's where the mistake is. Don't spend too much time looking at your gifting once you've discovered it. Use it. Don't just sit in a blue chair looking at the gifting. Isn't it nice I've got this gift? Isn't it wonderful? God's given me this wonderful gift. Oh, it's so, because what will happen is your head will begin to grow. The error that people make are one of two extremes. Either we think more highly of ourselves because of the gifting or we think less of ourselves. Your identity is not based on your gifting. It's based on who you belong to. Your function is based on your gifting. Your function is based on your gifting. And so he's saying think clearly about the gifting that God has given to you and exercise it with the measure of faith that God has given to you. Because it takes faith to do that. It takes faith for me to get up here and stand in front of you every Sunday, not because of who you are, but because of my natural personality. Now, don't laugh. This is going to sound strange to you, but I'm actually a very shy person. I am a shy person. The idea that I would stand years ago in front of this many people on television and speak without reading notes would have absolutely scared me. But God put a gift in me for your benefit. And I learned early on, I think I shared the story with you, I've learned how to operate in the, trusting in the gift and the, and the grace that He's given to me and not in my natural ability. Because I shared with you the very first time I ever preached, I was still a lawyer at the time. No, actually, I had left. I was in Bible school and I had a legal pad, yellow pad with all the lines on it, 14 inches legal pad. And I had four pages of single-spaced outline. That poor congregation, I stood in front of them and I started going through my outline and it was the deadest thing I have ever heard in my life. And I felt the Lord speak inside of me very clearly. He said, son, if you'll stay there behind that podium and rely on that outline, it will get deader and worse. But if you'll step away from that outline and trust in what I put in you, then I will anoint you. And I had a decision to make whether I was going to trust in the grace that he had given to me or trust in my own understanding and trust in my ability. And I made the decision to trust in his grace and that took an act of faith. And that's what he's talking about here. So to operate, to exercise that gift that God's given to you, to get out of your blue chair. Let me give you an example of where it will take faith. Because I hope you've figured out by now, this is, this is not just an academic study. I'm talking to you about where you are. God wants you to take your place in this body, whatever that is. And we're not here recruiting for jobs. That's not my motive. My motive is not to say, although we have many positions that are open, we need ushers, we need people working in media. Periodically, you'll hear requests made. Those are opportunities for someone to take their place. But I'm not doing this because of that need. God has always provided the needs of this congregation. I've stood in awe as I've watched maybe somebody move on and God's brought somebody in right along. What's in my heart is for your sake. Because only when you find your place and begin to operate in it will you be satisfied, will you sense a sense of fulfillment. And what we're going to read in here is a list of, is some examples of some of these gifts and it's not an exhaustive list. But it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to get out of your blue chair and to go into the nursery. So the very first thing my wife and I ever did in ministry was to go into a toddler's class. And I was in there on Sunday mornings with, down with my three-piece suit down on the floor rolling around with the toddlers, having the time of my life. And while I was doing that, God would speak to me. See, one of the reservations people have, but this is the, the sanctuary is where it all happens. That's where the teaching is going on, the anointing. I don't want to leave that. But if God's assigned you into the nursery, that's where He is to speak to you. I've had God speak to me through a child. Isn't that amazing? And so God will speak to you more clearly where you, when you're in your assignment. When you take your place. Not only that, if you just sit here, you won't grow. When you sit here and you don't take your place, you won't grow. So I'm going through this study. For, first of all, it's what the Word of God says, but it's for your benefit. So that my responsibility is to help you to mature and to grow as believers. I can't make you do that. I can only feed you the Word of God 
which teaches you what to do and how to do it and, gives, and helps you, strengthen you to do it. It's your choice whether you do it or not. But my job is to feed you and strengthen you so that you can do it. And so that's what he's talking about here, operating the faith in faith. So it takes faith to exercise that gift, not just to, to know that it's in there, but to go take your place and do that on, on, on whatever, whatever that assignment is for you. All right, let's move on. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, in our own body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having, therefore, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. There's proof that that word grace here is not being used as just God's unmerited favor for how we were saved. Because notice he says this grace is different in each one of our cases. Why is it different? Because we have different functions. There's a grace I have to stand up here and minister God's word to you. But I've walked in nursing homes with my wife who has a grace to minister to the elderly and just kind of stood back and watched this grace take over and watched her compassion. I watched her go into a room one time and there was a lady standing there and she was tied into her wheelchair like this and I don't want to gross you out, but her saliva was coming down the side, just staring at a TV, dead look like this. And my wife noticed her name when she went in and she very gently went over and took her face and made her, brought her up to look at her and just began to talk to her and love on her. I'm standing back there like this. Is, there's no way you can change where this woman is by just talking to her. This looks hopeless to me. And, and, but my wife just, something engaged in her. And she began to talk to her. By the time she left that room, that woman was looking at her and smiling at her and responding to her. There was a, now, can I do that? Yeah, but there's a grace that took over when she got around the need that she was called to meet. That's just part of what her calling is. But I saw that grace take over. I saw that grace take over. There's a grace that God's given to you. And it differs among us based on our different roles and our different functions and our different purposes. Okay, let's move on. Because I want to begin to give you a sampling of what some of these are. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, that word is service. If serving, let us use it in serving. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts, that word means to encourage in his exhortation. Now, let's talk for a moment or two about some of these gifts because the problem we have sometimes is that we think that the only, the, the word gift kind of implies, well, you've got to be a, a pastor, you've got to be anointed to teach or to preach, you've got to be anointed to lay hands on the sick and they see they recover, you've got to be anointed to do those things. But most of these gifts that are operating the body of Christ, you don't even notice that it's a gift operating. When you walk in on a Sunday morning, there's people at the doors to greet you. They're operating in a gift. There's a gift. They'll touch your hand. They'll take your hand and greet you and say hello to you. I know the first time I came in this church, it just made me feel good. Somebody greeted me, made me feel welcome. That's operating a gift. That's the body ministering to somebody. See, we think the mistake we make is sometimes these gifts have to be some big supernatural thing. Well, they are supernatural. We get confused between the supernatural and the spectacular. Supernatural just means God's ability to do something that's beyond your ability. Spectacular means, wow, look at that, everybody can see that, woo Got the hair standing up on the back of my neck, wow, that's spectacular. Supernatural means it's using God's ability. That can be greeting somebody. And maybe somebody, have you ever had the experience you came in here and you just, you know, I have walked in here and I just, you know, wasn't having the best of all days. Just, you know, just, that wasn't bad. I just, and somebody comes up to me and maybe, maybe puts their hand on my shoulder or hugs me or shakes my hand and I start feeling better. Ever had that happen here? Yeah. A gift just operated. 
A gift just operated. And it operated on your behalf, your behalf, your benefit. And you benefited because one part of the body was ministering to another part of the body. If you have small children, you bring them and you hand them over to a nursery worker or down to a toddler worker. If you don't have confidence that child's being taken care of, it's going to be hard to sit here in the service and pay attention. But if that children's worker communicates to you, I love that child, that child's special to me. You can trust that child to me for this time with the service. So, just, I, you know, I don't care what condition, you know, I don't care whether their diaper needs to be changed. That's, that's a blessing of God you've entrusted to me. Thank you for this privilege of taking care of that. That's an attitude towards that child that that worker has that's, that ministers to that parent that can now come in there saying, ah, oh, that person loves that child. That's important to them. So I can let that child go to them. That's ministering to the body. The ushers, they're ministering to the body. They're literally serving you. They're helping you find your seat. They're helping to bring envelopes, welcome packets, whatever it is. They're serving you. These are all parts of the function of the body, and they're very, very important. And on any Sunday morning or any Wednesday night or any other services we have, the body here at Faith Christian Center is operating as one body. I may be the one most people see, but I'm just a small part of the body here. There are many other things going on that you don't even see are going on. Some of them are going on behind the scenes. Some of them are going on right now while this is being made for television. There's people back in there that are, that are, that are, that are uh, producing the show, that are, that are editing, they're moving, telling the camera to go from one camera to another camera. That's all going on behind the scenes. These are things, people operating in their gifts. Somewhere out there, there's a need that your gift fits. Somewhere out there, there's a need that your gift fits. One of them is exhorting people, encouraging people. Say, well, what kind of gift is that? That's what a greeter does. A greeter encourages people when they come. Glad to see you this morning. Oh, it's so good to see you. That makes a difference when somebody walks in here and feels welcome. Ministry starts in the parking lot. Before anybody ever sees my face, they've been ministered to by a number of people or should have been. And all that is to prepare them, to receive the word, to prepare them, to minister to them so that God can minister back to them. And you are assigned to be a part of that somewhere. You are assigned by God to be a part of this somewhere. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, and listen carefully, he said, you did not choose me, I chose you. That you may bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That wasn't just for those 11 remaining disciples. That's for all of us. Jesus chose you. And he chose you not just to belong to him, but so that he could bear fruit through you. And that that fruit that he bore through you would remain. What is that fruit? It's other people. It's other people that he loves. It's other people growing and maturing. God cares about people. Things are not important to him. It's people that are important to him. He'll use things to reach people, but it's people that matter to God. Jesus came and died for people. And God's heart is people. And his body is here to reach people. And you and I are part of that. All right, let's go on. He who gives with liberality. Now, we're all called to give. See, these are things we're all called to do, but some of us have a grace, an ability of God that's beyond that. We're all called to give. We're should, obviously, we're all tithers, to be tithers. We're all to be givers, but there are some that are given a special grace and also the resources to operate in that grace by which they... Our, our support ministries and help other people. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We've talked about the, the aspects of that before. Now I want to go over to 1 Peter. Verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Well, if that was true in Peter's day, it's sure much more true now. 
But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, as a result of the time we're in, be serious or sober-minded. That means to be disciplined in your thinking. That word means watchful in your prayers and above all things have a fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each one, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another or serve one another with that gift. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here's that word grace again being used in the same way. It's being used as an, a gift that has been entrusted to us. And he, Peter's saying here, we are to be good stewards of a gift that's been given to us. A gift that comes out of the many manifold. That means many-sided, many-faceted grace of God. The grace of God here again is that equipping, that God giving of His ability to do something and that gift that He's given has many different facets, many different ways of being used and you are at least one of those facets. You are at least one of those ways. And He says we are stewards of that gift that's been given to us. We are stewards of that gift that's being given to us. Use Therefore, that gift to serve one another. We are to use the gifts to stir, serve one another. And now in verse 11, he begins to list a sampling. These are not all of them. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, that means serves in any capacity, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Now, sometimes we sit and wait, well, when I feel the ability, then I'll use it. We just read back in Romans 12 what he says, we're to exercise faith in doing this. Faith doesn't wait till you feel it. Faith steps out, and then you feel it. I don't feel anything until I stand up here. I'm not down there saying, wow, I can't wait to get up here. The anointing's so strong on me. I just can't wait to get up. I feel nothing when I'm down there usually. It's the strangest thing. Well, it's not strange because I understand it now. The best thing I can re remember Superman, and not that I'm Superman, but it's the anointing. Remember Clark Kent, the mild-mannered reporter? And he would, this is, this, he would go into what, some of you are too young, you don't remember. They used to have a thing called phone booths. He would step into a phone booth and psh, turn around and walk out as Superman. And just this miraculous change would take place in him. And that's sometimes what it feels like. I feel like just John. And I step up here, and it's his anointing that takes it. I'm still the same person. It's his anointing. The only reason I'm sharing that with you is so that you understand that the gifting God's put in you, you will not experience it until you put a demand on it and exercise it. You put a demand on it, and you exercise it. And then as you begin to do that, you begin to get confidence that when you step out to exercise that gift, that anointing will be there to do it. And so he's saying here, if you're speaking, do it as, you're spe as if you're speaking for God. If you're serving, do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now here's Paul writing to this church that was giving him so much trouble because the, they had gifts and these are the gifts of the Spirit, which are listed in first chapter 12, and they're operating in them very proficiently. But they had become proud, and I've shared this with you before, they become proud of the fact that God gave those gifts to them, kind of the way Israel became proud that God had given the covenant to them. 
Instead of putting their trust in the covenant, they put their trust in the fact God had given it to them. So they began to take the credit. And that's what was happening here. And that's just a sign of immaturity. So Paul's correcting them, and he's going to talk about himself here in chapter 4. But it's important for our study because there's some key words that are in here. Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, there's that word again, of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So we've just read that we are steward of the manifold grace of God, the manifold, the many-sided ability of God. We are stewards of that gift. And now Paul says what's required of a steward is that we be found faithful to exercise that gift that we've been given. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I know that nothing is against myself, yet I'm not now justified by this. Now let's go down to verse um, 7. Who makes you differ from one another? Or what do you have that you did not receive. Now he's talking about gifts here because they became proud of the gifts that God had given to them. And what he's saying here is, what gift that you have that you didn't receive as a gift? And his point here is, if you had it as a gift, why can you take credit for it? You didn't earn it. It's just freely given to you. And that's his point here because he's trying to correct them because they have a big head because of this gift that was given to them. But my point here is not so much that, it's to recognize that there's nothing that you have that God didn't give it to you. And if God gave it to you, two things. He's given it to you to use. And you're a steward of that. And it's required that a steward be found faithful to have exercised the gift that he'd been given. And the second thing is, if God gave it to you, it has contained in it His ability to perform it. So don't look at yourself and say, well, what can I do? What you can do is operate in the gift that God's given to you. You can exercise that gift. Again, it doesn't have to be something that's spectacular that everybody can see. It simply may be the very basic and important gift of serving somebody. Right now, there's work going on next door in the kitchen to prepare for, for some of our guests that come here for a meal. That's service. There's a hospitality in there that for people that serve in both services and gives them a chance to be refreshed. That's service. There's nothing spectacular going on in there. At least I hope not. There's, but it's ministry. It's service. It's the body taking care of itself. Of itself. 